0: Today, on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, guest teacher Susie Gomez has part six of the Life After series with a message titled, The Effort Required. And today, uh, we're in week six of a series called Life After Death. And although we've been talking about life after death in a victorious kind of way, talking about how we are a resurrection people, we're talking about life after death in a born again kind of way. I think an obvious thing to state is that we are, thank you, we are in a time as a nation, uh, we are in a time as a nation where we are collectively grieving. We're collectively trying to figure out how to navigate through life after death in a very tragic way. So the title that I was given today as a framework for week six of life after death, was the effort required, the effort that we must put in to living a flourishing life in Jesus, the kind of life that Jesus teaches about in John 10.10, the verse where Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, Jesus, have come to give life abundant I have come that you may live life and have it to the full, an abundant, flourishing life. This is what Jesus came to empower us for. But the thief is still hard at work to steal, kill, and destroy. I know I'm starting off on a somber note. I usually come out and say, good morning. Thank you for having me. I'm Susie and talk about the weather and be a little bit more lighthearted. But in the past several weeks, we've seen more death and destruction than we ever care to see. Lives have been stolen in the most horrendous of ways. And it feels like a nightmare that's on repeat. It keeps playing over and over again in different settings, in different cities with different people, people who are just living their lives in ordinary ways, in ordinary places that you and I or our loved ones might find ourselves. So it feels like we're in the middle of a, a nightmare on repeat. It keeps looping over and over again. What happened in Uvalde, Texas was another unimaginable act of terror, an act of evil that came before we even had the chance to grieve the murders that we saw in Buffalo. And just one day after Buffalo, one day after 10 lives were taken in a heinous act of racial terror, a house of worship was shot up in a church just like this in Southern California. Like many of you, I'm sure, if you've been coming to Forest City for any time, the first person that you might have thought of as you heard the news about what happened in Buffalo, New York, was our dear brother Carrington. He loves and he reps Buffalo so strong. And it turns out this, this place where this act of terror was actualized was a place that was familiar to Carrington. Carrington people that he knows and he loves dearly were directly impacted by this. And while the whole nation looked at this over a TV screen or through our, through our phones in terror, in horror, when we know someone who is impacted by this, someone who is from that community, it makes the news of a tragedy far away feel closer to home. Because we know people who are deeply and personally impacted by this tragedy. The same day, that night, I received news that an old friend of mine, a dear sister from my home church in Vancouver, lost her life in a drowning accident. So while still processing my own shock and grief, news started to break about a Taiwanese church just down the freeway from where I live. The Taiwanese church community in the U.S. is small and it's tight-knit. Many people are very interconnected, And some of my friends had direct connections to this church. Some who knew the doctor who was killed while trying to stop the shooter. And others who knew pastors and attendees there that day. So it hit close to home again, this time quite literally. Then came the one that has so many of us still reeling. Just this past week, 19 school children the same age as some of my own kids, the same age as some of yours, some of your nieces and nephews, your grandchildren. They were finishing out their last week of school, and another 18-year-old, suffering and struggling with evil, conspired to kill, steal, and destroy. And he took with them two teachers, And even in addition to that, a husband to one of those teachers who died just days later from a massive heart attack and died literally of a broken heart. This is not the way that I planned on giving this message this morning. But today we're talking about life after death. Some of you may be newer to the Forest City Church community, and I might be an unfamiliar face to some of you. I apologize for having to come out in this way and introduce myself to you. But I've been journeying with the Forest City family for, for some time now. And I hope that you may grant me the opportunity to be more than just a guest preacher now. I hope that even just by naming the pain that we're feeling and holding space for the grief and the lament, the sadness and the anger that we feel, that you'd allow me to to step into pastor mode just a little bit. That just by holding this space here, there might be some shepherding that's going on. And I would ask that as this message goes on, you'd even allow me to use my prophet voice a little bit today. The voice of somebody who's going to do some truth-telling and maybe a little bit of uncomfortable truth-telling. You know, the prophets in the Bible... They were the ones that had us look at our sin, look at our shortcomings, and they would tell the truth about it. They wouldn't say it just to condemn and to, to sh- throw shame or guilt, but they would say it that, that, that our hearts would be compelled towards God, that we would repent, that we would confess, and that we would do better, that we would live up to the calling that God has for his people. So I hope today that as I continue in this message, you would have ears to hear, that our hearts would be fertile soil and that we would be activated in our faith to walk accordingly. We find ourselves yet again trying to figure out how to live this life, life after death, in a place where the enemy has made it abundantly clear that his mission is to kill, steal, and destroy. And so we ask ourselves, what are we supposed to do, Jesus? It keeps happening. It keeps happening. How many of you have heard or said yourselves this week, how long, oh Lord? How long? Some of you may be thinking, Jesus, I thought you said you came to give life and give life abundant. Why does it look like the enemy is winning? It feels like it sometimes, doesn't it? But let's remember the enemy, he's a He's a thief and he's a liar. The title for today's message is The Effort Required. And the message that I had planned to give from 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8 is a message that we could unpack so that we would have tools for understanding what a life of flourishing looks like, what the effort required of us would look like. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 8, is a text that can empower us to live abundant lives, the life to the fullest that Jesus intended for us to live. But Satan is a thief and a liar, and he's out to kill, steal, and destroy. He wants to tear you down. He wants to mess you up. And tragedy is like this can sometimes do that. Peter wrote 2 Peter as a letter to build up the faith of believers, believers who were going through some things, believers who were being lied to and needed some encouragement. Peter wrote this letter that these believers would know the difference between what's true and what's not, what's counterfeit and what's true. For Peter, the building up of believers meant that if he told them the truth, if he equipped them with knowledge of the truth of who God is and the lives that we're meant to live, well, then Satan would not be able to deceive us because Satan is a great deceiver, the father of lies. lies. And sometimes circumstances will have us feeling a certain way. And feelings are not always the best litmus test for truth. It's like the saying, your feelings are valid, but they're not always true. Now, some people might argue the semantics of this statement, but without going into a rabbit trail over all this, the heart of this statement is that there may be valid reasons for why you're feeling what you're feeling, but what you're feeling is not always rooted in reality and truth. It feels like this world is spiraling out of control And it feels like life is just a series of bad news after bad news after bad news. It feels like racism and white supremacy is an undefeatable evil. That political discord and violence is a shadow that we can't get out of. It feels like there's less and less reason for joy. And there is nothing that makes the pain of seeing innocent people, elderly people, and young people being massacred. Okay. There are valid reasons why you might feel like there's no reason for hope. There might be valid reason for why you feel like giving up. The evils of this world can cloud our vision and choke out the hope that is in our hearts, and we might feel like we are powerless to make a difference. After Buffalo, we already knew that that news would cycle out and it would be replaced by something else just a day later there was another shooting and then in between there there were more shootings and even now news about Uvalde is on our hearts and it might stay around for a couple of weeks but mass shootings are going to happen again there have already been more than 200 mass shootings in 2022 and we're not even halfway through the year how long O lord We want the Lord to come and heal our land. But the challenge that I pose, while still wanting to leave room for your grief, is this. Will you actively participate in being a part of the healing of this land? Will you be part of the answer to the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We are to be active participants. We are to be the answer to that prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. The kingdom is here and now, and yes, there is an eternal glory waiting for us, and we will not be made perfect. This earth will not be made perfect until Jesus returns, but we pray that prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven because we want to see a piece of heaven expressed here and now. We want to be heavenly-minded, but we should also be of earthly good. This is the mission that Jesus is calling us to. Will you be an active participant in living the full life that Jesus came to give us and empower us for? There is an effort required if we want to see change internally and in the world around us. If we're sick of death after death after death, and we want to see life after death, there is an effort required of God's people. And God calls us to be active participants in experiencing and living out the goodness of the kingdom here and now. 2 Peter 1 verses 3 through 4 says this, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. God by his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. And he's given us those things, promised us those things so that we may participate in the divine nature, meaning live godly lives, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil. I basically just reiterated the whole verse again, but let me just simplify it one more notch for you and use even less words. God wants us to live godly lives, and he's given us everything we need for it. God has given us his divine power. He has planted something in us. So our Christian lives are not meant to be inactive and dormant. They're supposed to change us and the world around us. Do you believe that God has planted something in you? The Holy Spirit is in you and empowers you for good for the world. God wants us to live godly lives and has given us everything we need for it. Everything we need to live godly lives and to be expressions of goodness in this world, to stand up to the evil in this world and not be corrupted by evil, crushed by evil, or overwhelmed by evil. God has already equipped us and empowered us, given it to us, made it available to us. But we need to access and activate these blessings We have a spiritual bank account stocked with every blessing upon blessing, but we need to make some withdrawals. We need to charge the card. We need to access the currency we've already been given. But so often the enemy lies to us and makes us think that we're spiritually bankrupt, makes us think that we're powerless in this world where in fact God has given us everything that we need to live godly lives, to be of earthly good, and to bring the kingdom of God here and now. We have access to power. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and we have what we need. So will we cultivate that? Will we live like we have access to the spiritual riches of heaven? We have access to power. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And the world around us is to be blessed blessed through us because of what God has deposited in us. See, Satan operates in lies and deception. Satan operates in lies and deceptions because he is the father of lies. This is why the knowledge of truth is so important. 1 Peter 1, 3, I'll say it again. It says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him, through our knowledge of God, we are called to his glory and his goodness. So how do we fight the lies of the enemy? Through our knowledge of God. I remember hearing this teaching back in the day when I was at summer camp growing up. Uh, I was a teenager at summer camp. And I was distracted by cute boys and my friends and all that. But I remember halfway listening to the preacher who would often say this. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. Maybe you heard that growing up too. If you've grown up in church, maybe you've heard the preacher say, there's a difference between knowing about God and knowing God. We can know a whole lot about the Bible. We can know a whole lot about God, but do we really know God intimately and personally? And because of that, are we being transformed? Are we activating the power that is deposited in us? Or are we letting it lay dormant, knowing God from a distance, knowing God up here, but not knowing God here and here? I wonder if we can really lean into knowing God intimately, It would be like me saying that I'm good friends with Michael Jordan, where really I've ever, I only ever watched him on TV, read books about him through my husband who loves Michael Jordan. Um, I've listened to everyone argue about why or why not Michael Jordan is the goat. Maybe I even shook his hand once. I've never shook his hand, actually. But I don't know him, and I, I certainly can't play basketball just because I know some things about him. I I don't have the DNA, I don't have the height, I don't have the size, I, I, I haven't cultivated the skills of a basketball player. I'm not making it to the NBA or the WNBA, I'm not even getting picked on the playground to play basketball on anyone's team. I don't know how to play basketball just because I know a lot about Michael Jordan. And here's the thing about our Christian life. We can sit in these seats and know a lot about God, but if we don't know God intimately, if we don't access the power that is in us, if we don't cultivate the skills that God has put in us, if we don't access the power that the Holy Spirit fills us with, then our our gifts and our talents, the good for the world is laying dormant, and we're not really playing the game. We're not living the life of power and goodness and godliness that God has meant for us to live. Don't get me wrong when we say the effort required to live a godly life. This is not to say that there is effort required to be saved. Our salvation simply comes through through faith in Christ, through no effort of our own. It's a free gift given to anyone who believes. All you need is faith that Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners and we didn't do anything to deserve it or to earn it. All you need is faith that Christ died for you. But for those of us who are reborn into a life resurrected with Christ, where the old is gone, the new has come, and we are a new creation in Christ Jesus, we are are not allowed to stay spiritual infants for the rest of our lives. God, God wants us to flourish and to grow and to be healthy and to be strong and to become more like him. Don't stay a spiritual infant When Jesus tells his disciples, follow me, that's a word for you and I as well, not just for them back then. The disciples got to know Jesus. They got up close and personal with Jesus. They spent time with him. They observed him and learned from him. They absorbed his teachings and were commissioned to go and teach others, to bless others, to heal others, pray for others, encourage others, and activate others into faith into a faith-filled, godly life that would change the world around them. So like the disciples, we're called to do something with our knowledge. We're called to water the seed that's been planted in us. You've been given everything you need, but mature, godly, and impactful living requires that the seed that God has planted in you be tended to and cultivated. And so this is why in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5-8, through 8, he says this, For this very reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So how do you add to your faith? Some translations will say "add to your faith," supplement your faith. And if you think righteous live, think of righteous living as living as supplements to your faith. It helps you understand what growing in Christ really looks like. Supplements fortify your faith. Uh, if faith is like your body or maybe like your backbone. Think of all of these characteristics, all of these things here, love and self-control and perseverance and godliness as the supplements that make your body strong. They're signs of growth and health. These things help you grow into a strong and mature and effective believer. Our physical bodies may be wasting away, but our spirits are being fortified, and we're meant to mature and be strong and become more like Jesus as we follow after him. I can't help but get a, a visual of those, those Russian nesting dolls. You know, when I think about adding to your faith or fortifying your inner person, it's like each element that Peter lists here, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, mutual affection, and love. Or, or if you look at the list as described in Galatians, The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Each of these things are like a doll stacked upon each other, and it fortifies your inner person. You start with a small doll, and you add a layer, and it grows. It gets fortified. It gets multiplied. It gets stronger. It gets bigger. And you become more mature and more effective. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. Some translations will say these things will keep you from being useless or unfruitful. Useless or unfruitful is the antithesis of what we're called to in this life. Be of good use, be fruitful, be impactful to the world around you. Jesus came to give life and give life abundant, full of fruitful, productive, and effective lives. God has filled us with his divine power. And so while there is room for grief and lament and anger and sadness, let us not get deceived into thinking that we are left powerless or hopeless. The enemy wants to kill literally. He wants to murder and terrorize. He wants to steal joy and he wants to steal your hope. He wants to rob you of your identity and he wants you to be ineffective and unfruitful. He wants to destroy everything that God wants to build up in you and through you. But for those of us who know God and are filled with the knowledge of truth, we know that we have been given a divine power to not accept the lie that things won't change, that things can't change. And we will... We'll offer up ourselves to be a part of that answer to prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe we just need to keep saying those things to be convinced of it, that that's what we really want. And so be motivated into action to make it happen. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, be the prince of peace and bring your peace. May I be a peacemaker and a peace builder. When we start with the building blocks of faith, we are, we are, when we know that we are loved and given access to power, we will grow in our spiritual wealth and our goodness, knowledge, and self-control. So I thought about taking the time today to break down this passage with a word study of each of these supplements that Peter lists here. What does goodness look like? What does knowledge look like? What is self-control? And maybe that'll be another sermon series because each one of those characteristics, each one of those supplements is worthy of a sermon in itself. But remember, at the top of this message, I said that I wanted to leave space for our grief and lament, name some things and just acknowledge the pain. But I also wanted to use a bit of a prophetic voice. And a prophet is just a truth teller. A prophet in the Bible came with a bit of loving rebuke, a call to repentance, and a challenge to do better. And so here's the truth I want to speak. Again, not to condemn or to point fingers, but so that we would repent and do better. When tragedies like this happen again and again, we say things like, how long, oh Lord? And we say that we're offering up thoughts and prayers. We have our moments of silence. But many of you have probably seen throughout this week, all over social media, people have been saying, no more thoughts and prayers. We need action. I do believe that we need thoughts and prayers. But we need those thoughts and prayers to compel us to action. Our faith is not meant to be dormant or ineffective or unfruitful. We're meant to impact the world around us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We need to put our faith into action and actively work for the flourishing of all people around us. The greatest command is to love God and to love people. And I believe that loving others is one of our greatest expressions of loving God because God first showed us what love is by loving us. And so to love God and to love others, we need to put our faith in action and actively work for peace, actively work for the safety and flourishing of other people. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said, human progress never rolls in on the wheels of inevitability. It doesn't just happen on its own. It comes through the tireless efforts and persistent work of dedicated individuals who are willing to be co-workers with God. And without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the primitive forces of social stagnation. If we won't go to work with God, society will stagnate and things will never change. Some of us need to confess that we've contributed to social stagnation. We've been too passive. We've accepted the status quo. We haven't taken seriously the call to be co-workers with God. We haven't believed that God has equipped and empowered us to live lives that will impact the world around us. Some of us have been too comfortable with the things as they are. Some of us need to confess and repent that we have not been broken by what breaks God's heart. And some of us have just plain grown calloused and hard-hearted how long will we sit idly by and expect systems and policies to change themselves How long will we refuse to get involved because we don't have knowledge or we think we don't have power? How long will we allow unjust policies that disproportionately affect communities of color go unchallenged? How long will we accept the marginalization of our brothers and sisters? How long will we continue to live unbothered enough that we can watch tragedy unfold over media but remain unaffected in our own personal lives? The enemy will work to destroy us with apathy, fear, pride, or selfishness, all which are contrary to the power of God, which we have access to. How can we pray thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but turn a blind eye and never raise a hand to fight injustice. God has given us everything we need to live godly lives And a godly life demonstrates love for God and love for others. Church, there is an effort required of us. I'm about to close it up, and I know I've been really heavy here. So I'm going to end with a story, but this story also has a challenge. Uh, Years ago, when Jay Leno was the host of The Tonight Show, uh, he had a segment that I loved called um, Jaywalking. You guys remember that segment? He would walk the streets of the greater LA area, and he would go around asking people random trivia questions. And what made this so entertaining is that often these these answers that people gave were, were silly, sometimes downright foolish and outlandish. And one year as I was helping my former place of ministry plan for a college missions conference, we had the idea to do our own version of jaywalking. So we hit the streets of LA, and in various places in USC, UCLA, Venice Beach, I asked people this question. I said, what do you think Christians believe? Now, if you know anything about Venice Beach, we got our most outlandish answers there. But I don't know what I expected, but we walked, we walked the campus of UCLA and USC and we asked people this question. What do you think Christians believe? And I think maybe in my defensiveness, maybe a little bit worried about what they might say, I expected them to say things maybe like, oh, well, Christians can be really narrow-minded. Christians think that they're better than other people. I don't know what I expected people to say, but, but the answers that I got surprised me. Because I thought maybe people might reference something like John 3:16. They might say something about Jesus, about loving God, loving others. But the number one answer that we got, the most common answer that we got was the golden rule. When I asked him, what do you think Christians believe? Many people, even if they were unfamiliar with the beliefs of Christianity, unfamiliar with Jesus, said, oh, I think they believe that thing that says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And there were definitely worse things that they could have said, but this answer surprised me. But as I thought about it and as I looked at, at Matthew 7, Jesus, when he taught this, he said this um, at the Sermon on the Mount, his most famous sermon he said do unto others as you would have them do unto you and he said all the prophets in the law are summed up in this saying so maybe these college students were onto something everything is summed up in this saying do unto others as you would have them do unto you this is a very important teacher teaching and it's a unique teaching now many other religions have similar sayings but in the reverse for example confucius says don't do to others what you don't want done to you and a buddhist saying is hurt not others with what pains yourself but jesus says do to others what you would want them to do to you the difference is that one is passive and the other is active being actively good is better than being passively not bad or being actively anti-racist is better than being passively not racist do to others as you would have them do to you is a command to proactively love people with intention and so Jesus is not directing us to avoid being bad so that we will be absolved of guilt he's telling us to actively proactively pursue the flourishing and the safety of other people there is an effort required to live a godly life Family, mass shootings and racial terror do not have to continue to be America's recurring nightmare. We don't have to see this on loop. But as the old saying goes, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people to do nothing. For godly people to sit back passively. We must be people who who do not passively sit back. We must be people who are willing to love consistently and persistently in an actively impactful and fruitfully good way. And church, the world is watching. Many have turned away or written off Jesus because of what people see as a poor witness in the church. They think we believe things that might be hurting certain communities we have an opportunity to demonstrate that jesus comes to rescue and redeem and seek and save the lost we have an opportunity as followers of jesus to do unto others as we would have them do unto us or to our own children or to our own mothers and fathers and grandparents in our own family jesus has already demonstrated what selfless self-sacrificing love looks like And I pray that our hearts would be cultivated to express genuine love for God and love for others. Can I end in a prayer for us? If you'll bow with me right now, I just want to ask God. God, the scriptures tell us that have given us everything that we need to live a godly life you've given us all access to power to bring your kingdom here on earth to bring your shalom to be peacemakers for blessed are the peacemakers but Lord some of us need courage some of us need an awakening Some of us need more times like this where we just sit before you and say, Holy Spirit, would you speak to me? Search my heart and try me. If there is anything offensive in me, anything that is dormant in me, anything that is not living up to the fruitful and abundant life that you called me to live, Lord, would you guide me in the way of everlasting? Lord, I pray that the enemy would not be able to rob us of our joy, of our hope, of our faith. And God, I pray a blessing over Forest City Church that we as a community of believers, as as a family of faith, would be an expression of your goodness, your kindness, your power, your justice, your peace, and your love for the world around us. And because of the effort that we put in to know you and to be known by you, may the world around us be blessed, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Susie Gomez with a message titled, The Effort Required, the sixth and final message in the Life After series. Thanks for listening.